0: Good morning to the Grace Church, scattered but gathered virtually to worship the Lord today. It's an honor and a privilege to open the scriptures with you and to those who join this service from wherever you are in the world, welcome as we open the Bible together. Let's offer God a prayer. Lord God, will you help each one of us hear your voice as we look at the Bible together. In Jesus' name, amen. The Church at Grace have been doing a series in the Psalms, and so I promised the boys that I would uh, join in with that idea and would speak from the later Psalms, which are called the Songs of Ascent. And we'll look at what that means in a moment. First, let's think about the setting. They start at 120, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me and save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues, etc. And it ends at Psalm 134 uh, with how good and pleasant it is. That's 133 and then praise the Lord, Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. So what comes just before is the Halal, Psalms 113 to Psalms 118, which are used in the Passover context. So Jesus would have used those Psalms in the Last Supper and they're still used today. Psalm 119, of course, the longest of the Psalms is a, which is a devotion of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God uses lots of different phrases, commandment, precepts, laws, statutes to declare the greatness of God's Word to us. And then we have these Psalms that we should look at. And then Psalm 135 and 136 are seen as associated with these Psalms, particularly because Psalm 134 leads in to Psalms 135 and 136 like this. Psalm 134 invites the priests to praise the Lord, those who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. So it's a call from the people to the priests to praise the Lord. Psalm 135 then says, the priests agree with that. The first four verses, we agree we should praise the Lord, so they do it. And they speak of the one who created everything, verses five to seven of Psalm 135. And then the one who rescues his people, verses eight to either 12 through 14, just decide where you want to make the break. And then they declare that that there's only one true God, verses 13 to 18. Then the priests return the challenge to the people and challenge everyone to praise the Lord, verses 19 to 21. And then we, that's the end of that psalm. And then Psalm 136 is a responsive psalm, very well known, quoted a lot in the Chronicles and other parts of the scriptures. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and either other priests or the people would respond, his love endures forever. So these psalms fit together and are sometimes seen as part of what uh, has been called the great halal. These songs of ascent. It's interesting to think about how these songs were used because in ancient times, from at least the days of Solomon's temple, uh, the people made their pilgrimage. It was a responsibility of all the men to go three times a year to the great feasts, and they would make their journeys from all over Israel, and particularly when it was a United Kingdom, uh, the people who had to come from the north had to make significant journeys. And of course, we understand it in the life of Jesus because it's uh, quite specific that when he was 12, Luke's gospel challenges us in chapter two, verse 41, that he and his family made the journey to Jerusalem from the north for the Passover, the great celebration. And then later, of course, The Gospels, Mark particularly in chapter 10 and 11, talks about him going back to Jerusalem for what became what we call the Last Supper and the week before his triumphal entry. And it's quite clear he's making his way for the Passover celebration. He's on his way to the cross, having declared that he was the Messiah the week before and in the presence of Pilate which made Pilate ask the question, what is truth? When Jesus declaring who he was, it's another subject. So Jesus himself was aware that these songs were almost certainly used by people. And it says in the scripture that Jesus led the way and his disciples with him and others were going with them. And that was the normal flaw of it in how these Psalms are thought to have been used. The context would be that wherever they came from, they would use these songs on their journey to the temple in Jerusalem. God had said he would live in that place, he'd set his home there, uh, and they were to go and worship him there. So the people would come from all over the land, you would meet relatives on the way, The, the whole journey would be one of Thanksgiving that we're still all alive and stories of of what has happened in the year, testifying to the goodness and the favor of God and meeting family and friends as you went along is the strongest idea of those who interpret these things of of what happened. Because these Psalms are sometimes called uh, graded Psalms or songs of steps, and other words, pilgrim Psalms, it has the idea of, of, of going up, upwards. Songs of Ascent, going higher. And Jerusalem, of course, was higher, so if they walked there, they were going up. Uh, quite a, a journey, I'll make a comment about that in a moment. It was also that in the later temples, there were definitely steps up into the temples and people thought that they would sing these songs on the steps or the, the Le- Le- Levitical priesthood and, and those who served in the temple, the choirs would sing these songs on the steps and as part of the worship of these great celebratory feasts three times a year. You don't need to use a lot of imagination that after the horrible exile in the years in Babylon, Daniel realized that the 70 years were up and they made their journey home, Ezra Nehemiah and all those parts of the Bible. Those people would have been thankful that they were home, that uh, God had restored them to the kingdom, that his promises and his prophecies had been fulfilled, that they'd been given a new start. And these songs, as they sang and rehearsed them, would have been a declaration of the kindness and the favor of God. But that's all history. What about you and me? How do these Psalms fit into our lives? Well, maybe we need to understand them in the context uh, of our own pilgrim life. Those of you who've heard me preach in in the Grace Church Centre there would know that pilgrim language is part of how I think about my journey as a follower of Jesus. It's uh, not to Jerusalem, of course. Some people think that's extremely important and it has its place clearly but the journey of becoming like jesus the journey of allowing whatever it is that's happening to us in life to form us to create in us even through the moments of pain and darkness that there would come revelation and light there would be transformation and development that we would recognize in our lives on this journey as pilgrims that God is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So these are old Psalms but they have a relevance to how we live our lives today. Now in these few minutes that I'm sitting here in my office with you and sharing with you these Bible truths we can't do an exposition on fifteen psalms, that's that's it's crazy. Let me give you a, a couple of some many great v- verses. Here's here's a couple. They said when we came back from captivity, this is remembering uh, the post-exilic situation. We were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. There's something to remember on our pilgrimage. Then it was said among the nations. The others observing their lives said the Lord has done great things for them. And our reply to that, they said, was the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. May around our lives, people observe that the favor and the goodness and the grace of God is on our lives and they'll say of us that God has done great things for them. And it's important that we make sure we keep declaring that God has done great things for us. It's true, one more verse, there are many, many more. I've got my Bible open here, at Psalm 130, out of the depths I cried. Verse three, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Anybody feel a bit of pressure there? But there's a wonderful but, the buts of the Bible. What with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. We need to remember and rejoice that what God foresaw here in promising forgiveness in the gift of his son to us in his death on the cross and the resurrection truth that he offers us repentance and forgiveness. Well, there are many other wonderful verses and maybe during the day or through this week, you can have a look through these 15 Psalms and Pick a verse that you can stop and meditate on and reflect on the goodness of God in your own life. Now, in the few minutes that we have remaining, these Psalms, those who understand the shape in the Hebrew language, these Psalms are written somewhat differently to the majority of the Psalms. Most of the Psalms uh, have pairs of ideas or verses that work together uh, and they're joined together in very beautiful ways. These Psalms have a different idea, the whole idea, the whole context of them being for a journey, for a time of special rejoicing and thanksgiving, it, the Psalms progress. It's an idea that starts and the words develop and it and it flows, which isn't the normal context of, uh, of the Psalms. There are some major words that come. I looked at them all and wrote down some of the, the main themes that come. And we have uh, words like confession and deliverance comes more than once. Numerous references to prayer and to praise. Joy is there, we've rehearsed one of those verses already with thanksgiving. There's some references to humility and the blessedness of godly men and women. And the idea of testimony, the sharing of our story, the rehearsal which these people on their journeys in the days of the writing of the scriptures and their early use, they would have shared their stories of the favor and the goodness of God. their lives. So you can picture this. The last part of the journey from those coming from the north may have come through Jericho. So that's the last 14 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was 3,300 feet higher Jerusalem so it was an uphill slog. They were songs of ascent. They were climbing. There was A challenge for them in the last part of the journey. And maybe as we stop, because we we can't go into these Psalms in in their detail, as I've already said, I I provoke you to go and do that and, and, and dig for some treasure and hear God speak to you through them. But it's the idea of how we accommodate these psalms and use these truths in the pilgrimage journey of the ordinariness of our own life whether it's in a lockdown situation some of you still shielding not had much opportunity of interaction and fellowship gone much beyond your own garden. Dorothy and I because we're older for the first 10 11 weeks whatever it was didn't go off our street so in, in those moments, as well as the expansive moments of the memories of our lives, when we've traveled, when we've done this and done whatever, how, how do, how do we apply the truths of a pilgrimage, a journey to the presence of God, a journey to a place of remembrance and thanksgiving? How do we apply that? So the question I would ask myself, what should I, what should you, what should we learn today? From the idea of these songs of ascent? Well, the first thing I'd want to say is that our pilgrimage is a long journey, not a sprint. Change the illustration, but still using the language of athletics, it slightly makes it sound shorter, but it's the idea of a 400 meter race that when you've done the first one or 200 meters, those of you who know the athletic scene, you've been sprinting and uh, your normal flow of energy and adrenaline is, is ebbing away. And then we get to that third hundred meters and we've got to start digging deep to maintain the momentum of our journey before we get a second kick if we've really trained to really push for that last hundred meters. It's it's the context of a pilgrimage as a long journey, one foot in front of another, the determination to keep going, whatever it is that's happening. I think another thing I'd want to say is, we should make sure as these people did, that praise is part of every day. Don't allow a day to go by without you praise the Lord. If you're a good singer, you can sing a worship song, you can put a tape on. In your worship time, you can sing on your own in the bath or in the car or walking down the street. Wherever it is, make sure you praise the Lord if you use a song or if you simply use words of thanks and exclamation, Praise brings the victory and praise is part of this pilgrim journey to a greater sense of the presence of God you would expect me to say, and it's in these Psalms because they pray and ask God for victory over their enemies and all manner of things and thank him. So prayer must be a continuing discipline in our lives. And one of the things that bothers me is to talk to so many Christians, not just younger people, either who uh, have either lost or never found a daily discipline of prayer. And if you learn to pray properly, whatever that means, it's not just those moments when you close your eyes and say you're praying. You learn to enter the presence of God and know that God is with you all through the day. And maybe in moments of silence early in the day, you you embrace his presence. And then throughout the day, there there are moments when you reconnect and hear his voice. Ask for his help. Recognize you need him in a unique way. Have a word for someone that you pass on. But this life of prayer and praise is a continuing discipline. And I would suggest also that these Psalms teach us that humility is a great key to blessing. They recognize the greatness of God and in their humble obedience, as they heard his voice and walk with him, they received the blessing of God. Here's another thought. It's not one that charismatic Christians like too much. Hills, the hills we climb can make us stronger. Sometimes the tough days, the dark days, the days when we really just only have enough strength for the next step. When we get over the top of the hill and life is easier, we realize we've learned something we never would have learned without the hard moments the hills we climb can make us stronger and speaking out our testimony declaring the goodness of God like the early disciples did in Acts chapter 5 I was preaching last weekend about Acts 5 and they were determined that even though they got flogged and put in prison they were going to speak out that they were witnesses that Jesus was alive that that they had received forgiveness, that the Holy Spirit was with them. And we need to make sure we keep our testimony of what God has done for each of us. Nobody can take your story away from you. As a Welshman said to me a lot of years ago, a man with an argument is no match for a man with a testimony, a story of his, his own. And finally here, of the things that we could learn, and I'm sure you could multiply the list all over again, but joy will give you strength. If you maintain the joy of the Lord on this pilgrimage, it will give you strength. So a final question. How should we apply the truth? Well, it's already in implication in the things I've just been saying to you. But if we're going to keep making this journey and it's it's uphill as we get towards our goal. What do we need to tell ourselves? What do you need to tell yourself today? I need to tell myself, as I've said many, many times in my life, however long the road, I'm never going to give up. I made a decision years and years ago, whatever it cost, I would never give up. If you're going to make the pilgrim journey to becoming the person you were born to be, you must never give up in the pursuit of the face of God. It would be good to have a goal. They knew where they were going. They were going to a festival, they were going to the temple of Jerusalem. We need a goal. What does, what does a goal mean? That, that a lot of goal setting goes on in the natural order of things. What I mean by a goal is a sense of destination, a sense of purpose, that we know that God has a plan for our lives. He has a prothesis, something that he has decided beforehand what his eternal purpose is that he would have worked out in our lives. And let's keep that in our focus. It will keep us going. And finally, let's praise and thank God in everything. Thank him in everything. You might not thank him for everything, but we thank him in everything for his goodness and his kindness and his loving mercy to us that even in the moments when we fail, If he was to mark iniquity, we would be doomed, but he keeps on loving us and developing his life in us. And we need to thank and praise him in all the circumstances of our life. And as I close with a quiet reflection, what? What is it? As you are in your home or wherever it is, you're able to watch this on, a PC or a phone or whatever, what is it that he, by his Holy Spirit, what is the Father underlining? What is he prompting? What is he speaking to you about? As he's been speaking to me, as I've prepared and reflected on these great Psalms that I'm gonna read again like the Jews do in their synagogues most Saturdays, they read these Psalms. How are we going to reflect on what it is God wants us to take from a broad brush overview of 15 Psalms in the Bible that were used by the people of God on their journey to the presence of God? Stop for a moment and ask the Lord, what is it he's prompting or reminding or challenging you? about today thank you father for hearing our prayer at the beginning we believe you're a speaking God and that you speak to each one of us to direct our lives to purpose help us to hear and obey in Jesus name Amen I trust you all have a great day and thank you very much for the privilege of sharing with you God bless.